You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. It may look like an ordinary podcast, but this one's bigger on the inside, and it can travel anywhere in time and space. Pack your sonic screwdrivers and your jelly babies. Grab your hats, scarves, and tighten your bow ties. You're the companion now. So get ready to run with your hosts, Jason Hunt and Paul Gann. This is Talking Time Lords. Hey everybody and welcome back to another fantastic episode of Talking Time Lords. This is episode number 15 the Evil of the Daleks story review. I'm, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, my companion through time and space, we have Paul Gann. Hello, friend. <laughs> hey, man, what's up? <laughs> oh, well, I was doing good. And then you referenced one of the more disturbing elements of this episode. Um, I love it. <laughs> And for those who have no idea what we're talking about, you're in for quite a surprise. Uh, let me tell you. But we won't tell you what that is. Yet. Um, I will say this much. This story, uh, at least in the way it was told, in my opinion, was much more linear than some of the ones that have uh, come prior to this. Yeah, yeah. It was a bit more straightforward and a little less convoluted, which I liked. Um, yes. But before we jump into that, we do want to just tell everybody, hey, um, as of the time of this recording, we are three days away from both Paul and I going to see the the Doctor Who screening of uh, Dark Water and Death in Heaven uh, here in the theaters in the U.S. So we're both very excited about that, and hopefully we will be recording on Wednesday of next week uh, to have our reaction to that slash speculation on season nine, or series nine, excuse me, episode. And maybe a little bit of uh, what we would like to do with the show if we were in control of it. Well, yes, of course. You know, <laughs> obviously, they're going to con- consider us for the job. Um, <laughs> somebody somewhere might actually listen to this at one point in time. Well, you never know. You know, I mean, we keep getting downloads. I don't know where they're downloading it from, but you know, there are downloads. <laughs> but but yes, that's exciting, and we. Um, we're both very much looking forward to that. So if you are still on the fence about this, I would recommend going and watching it because it's just a fun event and you get all your fellow Whovians out and there will be, sometimes there'll be people in costume. Everybody will have a t-shirt, you know, that sort of thing. So see, uh, I'm just elated because, you know, I said before on one of the other episodes that 
I lived in the devil's armpit that we don't ever have these kinds of things where I live. And then I suddenly find out that in my city, we have this available for the first time ever. And, you know, I'm like, now I'm eating crow, but it tastes good, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I'm excited. (laughs) Awesome. Well, uh, before we jump into the storyline, the story here, uh, I do just want to let everybody know that uh, the TARDIS crew has changed again from our previous Dalek review episode. Um, We are missing Ben and Polly now, which I'm okay with. Uh, I like them, but Jamie, Jamie is a lot better. I love Jamie. He's an awesome character. He is a Highland Scot from the 1700s that joined the Doctor, uh, the second Doctor, early on in his run. What did you think about Jamie overall before we jump into the story? I actually really like Jamie. He he had a really good balance of intelligence, but at the same time, really down to earth and really kind of your blue collar, you know, rough and tumble kind of guy, you know. Um, and it, and then uh, even some of the times that he would kind of stand up to the doctor and, and you know, tell him what he thought and things, uh, it came, sometimes it added a little bit of humor into it, I think, mm-hmm. you know, uh, because of his reaction to some of the things. And, yeah, I, I really like the chemistry uh, yeah. between them. Uh, of of the early companions, and by, when I say early companions, I, I mean probably mostly the black and white companions, mm-hmm. he is probably the most fleshed out of all of them. Because in this storyline the story arc, we see the fact that, yeah, he's intelligent in some mm-hmm. aspects. He's definitely good with his hands. He's, you know, uh, strong physically. He's able to, to fill out the muscle role at when he's right. required to. He's sweet on girls. You know, he's got the whole <laughs> sweet aspect on girls. Uh, he gets into tiffs with the doctor, and, you know, there's the whole offense and then apology stuff that happens between the two of them, and... Uh, he's clever in his problem solving too. So it's one of those things where in the early companions, the black and white companions, he is probably the most fleshed out of all of them. And I, I really like him. He's some of the, the other companions don't quite seem like people. If you get, well, they seem more like placeholders sometimes I think than, than actual physical human beings. But but Jamie seems firmly solid uh, in in the world of of Doctor Who, and of course his accent doesn't hurt either. So <laughs> <laughs> now he's I got will, that thick will, Scottish uh, accent. Yeah, I, I will say this though, and and I you know the whole thing of this being reconstructed with photographs and stuff. There was actually only one episode of this uh, that wasn't recreated with photographs. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you noticed it or not. They could have picked a, a little bit more flattering photo for Jamie in some of the, some of the, uh, the the scenes where he's talking to the doctor and stuff. He, yes. he literally, I mean, he's sitting, he's 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 got this look on his face, and the only way that I know how to describe it is it looks like he's smiling like a donut. I mean, because yeah, I mean, because he. He just he has this this look on his face like he's you know, 
you almost think he's got a mouthful of, of marshmallows or something, and, and he's trying to talk is that the expression that the picture that they put. And I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm going, guys, why did you use that picture? Why right. couldn't you have used any other picture besides that picture? And they kept using it over and over I think and I over the, again. I think I know the picture you're talking about because it looks like, you know, somebody... Yeah. Somebody has paused the picture <laughs> in a, at really a really bad way. awkward yeah. expression yes. while he's talking very <laughs> exactly. animatedly. Yeah. And, he's got a very he... animated point and he's talking like, <laughs> you yeah. know, he's got this like, you know, weird <laughs> face going. And it's like, why did you pause it there? Yeah. I mean, it's like somebody paused a VHS tape or something and, <laughs> and the, you know, the lines are not there. The wavy lines, you know, how they have always had the wavy lines. You uh, know? Yes. That's not there, but it's like, you know, they caught him mid-sentence and he's in the middle of saying some kind of word like watermelon or something, something that's really, you know, requires like, enunciation. Yeah. And and he has this look on his face like almost like he like he's at the er in watermelon. <laughs> yeah, or like 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 he's trying to pick up something really heavy over his head and he's grunting really hard or, you know, it's something like that. It I mean, it made me laugh every single time I saw that picture. Yep. <laughs> yep. Which was unfortunate because some of the times they used it, he was, like, actually very serious. Exactly. But, anyway. <laughs> minor nitpick. And we'll we'll get to the reconstruction later, but this was, uh, just to say, I, I will say this was a better reconstruction than the last one we talked about. Well, there were more photos, too. There were more photos. But we'll, but we'll get into the reconstruction at the end. We're also introduced to who will become uh, a companion, Victoria. And uh, there wasn't a lot of Victoria in this episode. She served as sort of like... The MacGuffin. The, the MacGuffin, you know, the thing everybody's trying to search for, trying to rescue, you know. And so the doctors have her sequestered away for... Or the doctors. <laughs> oh, how often am I going to do this? I managed to get it done early in this episode. Hopefully it's over. The Daleks keep her sequestered away for most of the storyline, and we don't get a lot of her until the second half. Uh, but she does become a companion at the end of this episode, or story she's, arc. She's like the princess in Mario Brothers. Yeah, she's a bit like <laughs> Princess Peach. Uh, at least in this story arc, and she gets fleshed out a lot more as her run goes on. But in this story arc, there's not not a lot to her. She is the damsel in distress with this story arc, as you'll see as we discuss it. But I will read a synopsis, we'll give our spoiler warning, and then we will jump into the plot. The synopsis for The Evil of the Daleks, which was broadcast the 20th of May through the 1st of July, 1967, in weekly episodes, seven of them to be precise. And the synopsis is as follows. The Daleks draft the second Doctor into distilling the human factor. Once implanted, it will make the Dalek race invincible. Jamie's faith in the Doctor is stretched to the limit, as the Doctor appears to be collaborating with the Daleks. The Doctor has a few tricks up his sleeve, but then again, so might the Daleks. Spoilers. Okay, so let's jump into episode one of this story arc and 
this story picks up apparently the previous story arc the doctor and jamie bid ben and polly adieu because they are back in london 1966 apparently the same day that they left with the doctor back with the first doctor so uh, i think ben is able to catch uh, his ship (laughs) (laughs) he definitely shipped out that's for sure that is for sure (laughs) been waiting to use that pun again haven't you But they have bid Ben and Polly adieu. They're heading back to the TARDIS, only to find, oh my goodness, the TARDIS has been stolen. And so they chase after the TARDIS as it's being carted off on a lorry, uh, first on foot, then in a cab. It goes to a warehouse where a (laughs) less than helpful man uh, named Bob tells them that it was taken by someone called Jay Smith for the Leatherman Company. Blah, blah, blah. The doctor suspects that Hall is not actually a mechanic and it does not actually work at the warehouse because his uniform is way too small. (laughs) (laughs) And so they follow Hall after he leaves the airport warehouse. Hall is being observed by a man named Kennedy who works... And we're going to throw out a lot of names here, uh, but this name here is very important. Uh, Kennedy works for a man by the name of Waterfield. And Waterfield owns uh, this little shop that sells Victorian reproductions of, you know, items like clocks and furniture and that sort of thing. Uh, I thought it was an antique shop. It's an, yes, it's, it's an antique shop and it sells things primarily from the Victorian era. Yes. Uh, so we'll get a little bit more into that momentarily. <laughs> um <laughs> The TARDIS has been taken to Waterfield's antique shop, and his assistant, Perry, is very perplexed as to why it's there. And Waterfield says, well, it's for a client. He wanted it. He requested it. Kennedy meets up with with Hall and tries to get Hall to help him kidnap the doctor, I think. I think is what it was. Or just hurt the doctor. I don't remember exactly. And Hall's like, no, I, I, you just hired me to, you know, distract him and to give him the clue. I don't want any more of right. this. And they get into a fight, and Kennedy knocks out Hall and hides before the doctor and Jamie can enter the room. They find Hall on the floor, who says, where's Ken? And then falls unconscious again. Kennedy escapes, but the doctor finds a box of matches from the Tricolor Coffee Cafe. Uh, in or- and <laughs> determines that someone has been taking the matches out from left to right, and so they must be left-handed, and they go to the coffee cafe and are probably named Ken or Kenneth. And so <laughs> it's, the doctor is going on a bit of a Hercule Poirot sleuthing um, <laughs> with, with uh, Jamie as his plucky young sidekick. Um <laughs> Because we can't have any parallels to Sherlock here, right? No. No, of course not. <laughs> Kennedy returns to Waterfield's shop, and Waterfield reveals that this is all a trap to to lure the doctor there. Uh, he's deliberately dropped these clues about where the TARDIS is, about the coffee shop, and this is all a ploy to get the doctor there, which I'm wondering, well, couldn't you just invite him? But, you know, that would be too easy. 
Uh, but Waterfield doesn't quite always get the references that Kennedy is saying. And so we're led to believe that something is odd about Waterfield. Yeah. And, uh, uh well, he, he doesn't get the lingo no. at all. No. And so we're, we, we're led to believe that, that, that there's something odd going on here, which it's Doctor Who, so you can kind of assume that from the get-go. Waterfield sends his assistant, Perry, to the coffee shop with a picture of the doctor and says, you know, tell this man to meet here at 10 o'clock. Okay. So Perry does this. Um, and the doctor and Jamie uh, graciously agree to be there at 10 o'clock at the shop. Of course... Things get a little bit complicated back at the shop before the doctor shows up. Uh, Waterfield is yelling in a secret room at the back of his office to somebody unseen, and Kennedy is listening in and is very curious. Yeah. Kennedy later sneaks, after Waterfield has left, Kennedy sneaks into the office, finds the secret room, and finds a safe, and starts rummaging around in the safe because he's an unsavory sort, uh, only to turn around and find out that there's a machine in this secret room. And a Dalek materializes upon it, shoots Kennedy, and disappears. Poor, poor Kennedy. I can't say I'm too disappointed. <laughs> That's what he gets for being nosy. Right. <laughs> Round about 9 or 9.30, the Doctor and Jamie show up at the shop, you know, well before their scheduled 10 p.m. appointment. They sneak in, and they're looking around, and my, these antiques are brand new. But they're too good to be reproductions. What's going on here? Of course, Waterfield's assistant, Perry, his curiosity has also got the better of him, because who makes appointments at 10 o'clock at night? And so he sneaks back in, and of course the doctor and Perry confront each other, and they're, you know, blustering at each other. They found Kennedy's body. Yes, that's right. They find Kennedy's body. Waterfield, meanwhile, has moved it outside of the secret room at the orders of the Daleks and has laid a trap inside the secret room for the Doctor. The Doctor, of course, and Jamie find the door to the secret room while Perry has gone off to get the police, which, of course, gets Perry out of the way. And the Doctor and Jamie go in, find the other half of the photograph that Perry had been given that identified the two of them in this box. Jamie opens the box to get the photograph. This gas billows out and knocks them out. Of course, the box is on this mysterious, futuristic-looking machine uh, that yeah. the Dalek appeared on earlier. And Waterfield closes the box, gets them on the machine, and disappears. Conveniently, the, just before Perry returns with the police. The machine disappears, too. Yes. The doctor awakens several hours later in his sitting room in a manner in 1866, not 1966. Yes, <laughs> Waterfield has a time machine, and he's been using it to bring his antiques directly from the past. Now, that would be really convenient for antique collectors. Um <laughs> Now, was it a time machine or was it a time portal? It's a rudimentary thing, and it only goes between Waterfield's office and this manor. 
that is owned by a rather perfidious person. I'm hoping I use that word appropriately, because I just like it. Um, <laughs> a, a rather large personality with an even larger beard. Uh, yeah. A man by the name of Professor Maxtable, who is a very eccentric man. And uh, his beard and hair really highlight the fact that he's a bit eccentric and a little bit odd. He owns the house and will explain everything to the doctor. The doctor is, of course, not pleased about having his TARDIS stolen and taken back in time and all this stuff. And Waterfield says, well, there's a higher power at play and they've kidnapped my daughter in order to make us help them. And, of course, this daughter is Victoria. She is being held by the Daleks in another part of the house. And this is a weird scene. Uh, when we first glimpse her, she is made to sit on this scale. And the Daleks determine that she is losing weight. And so basically force feed her so that she stays at a healthy weight. And was just, it's odd and a little bit creepy. Because she, obviously she's not had much of an appetite because she's kidnapped and she doesn't feel like eating. They're treating so, her like, like cattle or something. You know, basically like livestock. Yeah. Yeah, and they're like, you must eat. You know, and if you will not eat voluntarily, we will force you to. So, a little creepy. Yeah. Just, the Daleks never cease to creep me out in some of these aspects. Maxtable and Waterfield show the Doctor to a rather high-tech, for the time, laboratory where they explain to the Doctor that they have been doing conducting experiments in time travel and have created a, a time machine in this, you know, this closet in the corner using static electricity and mirrors. But when they first activated it, uh, something came out of the cabinet rather than them going through it. And it was not something nice and fuzzy. No. And of course, yeah. on cue, a Dalek emerges from the cabinet, much to the Doctor's chagrin, and the the playing cards are all set. Or the pieces are all set on the chessboard. Uh, the Daleks are using the humans for the, you know ulterior motives uh, Maxtable believes that the Daleks are trying to become more human themselves in order to avoid being defeated by humans and that Jamie is going to be their guinea pig to which of course the doctor objects to Jamie meanwhile has now awakened back in the sitting room he's met Molly the maid and Ruth, who is Maxtable's daughter, Jamie is still exhausted from, you know, the, the time travel and has a nasty headache. So he, you know, lays back down a bit, only to have some random crooked man, you know, he's a crook, jump in through the window and kidnap him. This was a bit of an odd side story. That kind of threw me off just a little bit because I didn't I it honestly didn't really see what it had to do with the overall storyline 
just seem like a bit of randomness, which I guess life itself is full of randomness, but it just didn't seem like that it was interconnected as well with everything else, you know. Right. Of course, the Daleks need Jamie because they need to start the experiment, and they warn Maxtable that if the experiment is not started soon, they will start killing everyone. And so now the hunt is on to find Jamie. Toby is the said kidnapper and has taken him basically to the barn where Arthur Terrell, yeah. who is the fiancé of Maxtable's daughter, Ruth, meets Toby. Yeah, and that, Toby says, well, you paid me to do this. And Terrell's was, like, I don't want to pay you. That was something else that I thought was crazy. Okay, you're going to kidnap this guy, but you're just going to take him as far as the barn. Right. You know, doesn't it kind of feel like it defeats the purpose for kidnapping him in the first place? I mean... Yes. <laughs> yes. Of course, Toby didn't strike me as being the smartest man in the room either, so... No, and and, <laughs> and Terrell does not seem altogether there. He seems a little off. He's at one, on the one hand, he completely doesn't remember hiring Toby to do this. He has no idea what's going on. But then on the other hand, he's like, no, no, no. I'm only going to pay you this much. And he keeps wavering back and forth between these two things, and he gets this weird dizzy spell. And during one of those (coughs) dizzy spells, Toby takes a little bit of money and just leaves. Terrell leaves, and the doctor rescues Jamie. So this kidnapping thing is over and done with rather quickly. The doctor takes Jamie back to the house as he dis- as the doctor discusses what is about to happen with Waterfield and Maxtable. Jamie is really confused and really unsure about things because the doctor is talking about the Daleks, that they're in the house and that they have to cooperate with them. And he appears to be collaborating, not not only cooperating, but collaborating with the Daleks um, right. who are using Maxtable and Waterfield. And, of course, Jamie is not happy about this and immediately grows suspicious. Maxtable is given the task to set up this experiment area in the south wing of his house. Victoria has been moved to a room there. Maxtable has assigned a huge mountain of a man, a Turk by the name of Kemmel, to guard the wing of the house from Jamie specifically. Assuming Jamie gets past some booby trap doorways, you know, with spikes and, you know, all sorts of horrible, nasty things. The Daleks finally talk to the Doctor specifically about what they want. They want the human factor. They want to know what makes humans tick so that they can then implant them in themselves in order to overcome humanity. And there is a selection of, of three Dalek embryos that have been brought into the lab that it will be that they will be tested on once the doctor has acquired the human factor. And this rescue attempt that has been set up in the south wing of the house is the way that they are going to observe Jamie and determine what this human factor is. And the doctor flat out tells Jamie, well, you see, they want to do this. But I wouldn't, but I must warn you, Victoria Waterfield 
who is the spitting image of her mother, who, you know, that giant, beautiful painting that you were admiring earlier, uh, she's been held kidnapped. And I ex- extremely forbid you from going and rescuing her. You cannot do that. And, of course, Jamie yeah. has had enough. The doctor's collaborating <laughs> with the doctor. Jamie, it, the doctor, is, is forbidding him from rescuing a beautiful lady. And so... Jamie... Reverse psychology. Yes. (laughs) It's funny because if you've watched a lot of The Second Doctor, (laughs) you will note that the Doctor uses this on Jamie a couple of times throughout their their run together. But when it counts, Jamie is smart enough to catch the Doctor's mistakes and sometimes even uses it on the Doctor himself. Uh, This is a mutual thing. This isn't just one-way manipulation, so... Uh, it, it it does it does build to something more fun later. I do like the fact that Jamie uh, blatantly disregards what the doctor wants out of spite. You know, it's like, well, this is exactly what you don't want me to do. I'm going to do it now, right? And <laughs> so that he made that his number one first priority, just because he was angry at the doctor. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly, and and of course. In the sitting room of Maxtable's house, there is an enormous painting of Mr. Waterfield's wife, Mrs. Waterfield, who has sadly died, but uh, at the time of the painting is about how old Victoria Waterfield is, and they are the spitting image of each other. And the first thing he said when when he opens his eyes and looks at it is, Oh, she's rather lovely. You know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so Jamie is Jamie is already smitten uh, by by this painting. This is before Facebook and all that stuff, where, uh, <laughs> where you had to be smitten the old-fashioned way. Uh, <laughs> Jamie meets back up with the maid Molly, who who is completely sweet on him. If Jamie is smitten yeah. with, with Victoria, Molly is deathly smitten with you Jamie. Could, you could definitely tell. She is <laughs> so sweet on him. She is nearly tripping over herself uh, because she's trying to impress him and help him. Uh, and so Jamie meets back up with her and and gets the plans for the house from her. She was able to to procure them from Mr. Maxtable's office. Hmm. Toby, the ruffian, has decided he has not been paid well enough right. for his failed kidnapping. Yeah. And so sneaks back into the house to start stealing <coughs> some things. And ends up in the laboratory. Oh, yes. No <laughs> one else is in the laboratory. Well, at first, no one else is in the laboratory. Yeah. Until a, you know, certain... Who are you? Yes. (laughs) Uh, A certain plunger-armed, you know, eye-stalk, festooned Dalek comes out of the cabinet. And, of course, exterminates him (laughs) on the spot, basically. Yeah, that's another one that wasn't too missed. No. No. It's like, (laughs) well, thank you for getting Toby out of the way and wrapping up that loose end rather quickly because <laughs> we didn't need it to begin with. Jamie ends up in the south wing, of course. He has managed to avoid one of the booby traps, but, of course, 
there's Kemmel. Yeah. Kemmel on the other side, who is probably, you know, head and shoulders taller than Jamie and twice as large and, you know, with compared with muscle mass, you know. I think, uh, I think Shaquille O'Neal, you know. <laughs> Yeah, this guy's big. Except Buffer. You know? <laughs> <laughs> With a Fez. Because so. Fezes are cool. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Fezes are cool. You know, and of course, being a giant muscle-bound Turkish man, all he wears is a Fez, a vest uh, that's open in the front, and, you know, the fancy pants um, and shoes. And even if it wasn't cool, you'd not tell him it wasn't cool. <laughs> right. You would tell him, oh, that's cool, because you don't want him to eat you. Um... <laughs> I almost expected this guy to smile and have the metal teeth like the, the, the trap jar, or whatever the guy's name was in, in 007. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. This was interesting. Uh, episode four starts off with the confrontation between Jamie and Kemmel. Uh, it's a long, drawn-out fight. And it's done with almost no dialogue, which I found this interesting because we went through, like, three and a half, four minutes mm-hmm. of this opening of this episode with nothing being said. It was just, you know, the fight happening, right. which, you know, I'm sure worked better when it was originally aired and not quite with the re- uh, the reconstructions, but it was still re- pretty good uh, with what we were able to watch. But I just thought it was interesting that for a show that, you know, especially with the first doctor, there was a lot of dialogue and a lot of exposition. Right. We went nearly four minutes or maybe even over four minutes of the show without anything being said. Right. Um, that was just something I, I noticed and thought was interesting. You know, at least with the first Doctor, you would have had, at least in my opinion, you would have had situations in the middle of a fight where you would have someone you know, call out somebody's name or you would have some kind of indication as to what was going on through some kind of vocal cue or, or mm-hmm. something of that nature. You had nothing. The only thing the soundtrack had was some grunts and you know, <clears throat> vocal exertions combined with the sound of the fight. And music. and Yes, and some music. The end of the fight, you know, Kemmel is obviously much stronger than Jamie, but Jamie is wily and clever and uh, a little more agile. Jamie is able to trick Kemmel by running into another room and where there's an open window. And Jamie gets Kemmel to basically charge the room and sends him flying out the window. And Kemmel lands on the, the roof outside the window and is about to fall off the edge and Jamie throws him a rope and pulls him back in. And that shows you what kind of guy Jamie is because some people would have let the guy fall. Uh, And Jamie, Jamie's one of those kind of people where he looks at the situation and he he goes, you know, I don't know that this is a a bad person. You know, he may just be ill-informed. You know, maybe I should give him his shot, you know. Right. <clears throat> and at the end of it, they are able to come to a truce in th- gratitude for saving his life and for coming to the truce. Kemmel is actually able to save Jamie from uh, a booby trap after a Dalek leaves one of uh, Victoria's handkerchiefs on the floor 
where an axe could fall and chop off Jamie's head. Yeah. Uh, and so Kemmel is able to save Jamie from uh, a, a guillotine-like fate. Well, if you think about it, uh, Kemmel ended up being part of the experiment, too, in in the sense of not only were they able to get the information they wanted from Jamie, they were able to get it from Kimmel as well. Right. And it even added more to right. the the human factor, you know, the, the ability of friendship and reconciliation, that sort of thing. And because, mercy, you know. Mercy, courage, you know, all these things. And so while this rescue attempt is going on with Jamie and Kimmel, we keep going back to the doctor in the laboratory who is observing through the various computers and that sort of thing what's going on and is making calculations based on what he sees uh, he's he is of course being supervised by a Dalek and you know every time something impressive happens the doctor you know says ah you know here's another element that I will add and ah oh, this is good and this is how this is important and that sort of thing and the doc the Dalek is uh, you know a little perplexed and not overly uh you know appreciative of of the nuances that the doctor is uh, regaling him with so while the doctor has been observing this rescue attempt uh waterfield and maxtable run across toby's dead body in the laboratory cuz you know that's convenient uh, it's you know they can't have the doctor seeing this so Maxtable and Waterfield are trying to deal with the body, and Waterfield's had enough. Waterfield is done. He's, he's like, as soon as this whole business is over, he's going to confess his part in it. He can't do this anymore. Maxtable has to try and shake him back out of it and, you know, get him, you know, focus, focus. Your, do- your daughter is still captured. The Daleks still have her. You have to do this. You have to go on with this. And so while Waterfield continues to try and get the body out of the laboratory... Uh, Maxtable slips a gun in his jacket pocket. Jamie and Kemmel continue on on towards rescuing Victoria. Jamie finds out that that Kemmel actually has a soft spot for for Victoria as well. Probably more like big brother and little sister. Uh, she's given him a flower as a token of her effect, you know her appreciation that sort of thing. And so they they are now completely united. In this rescue attempt, they have become friends. They have a common uh, cause now, and they are going to rescue Victoria from the the bowels of the South Wing. Maxwell and Waterfield have taken Toby's body to the barn, where Terrell has has uh, observed them from a, a hidden point. Waterfield is still muttering about how how he doesn't want to do this anymore and how his conscience is not going to uh, agree with him much longer. And as Waterfield leaves, Maxtable pulls the gun out of his pocket and is ready to shoot Waterfield, but Terrell jumps out and stops him and and tells him not to do this. It's not part of the plan. And Maxtable blows up in his face and, yeah, you, you know, you can't do this to me. You can't tell me what to do. And Terrell's response is a very stern, very emphatic, you will obey, you will obey. 
you know. The uh, this is the point where my opinion of uh, Waterfield changed a lot. Uh, I didn't really know how to feel about him to begin with, but then he ended up becoming a character that I actually liked. Yeah, Waterfield was um, a Waterfield's a good guy put in a bad situation. Yeah, and once you realized why he was doing the things that he was doing, and you realized that he didn't have any hidden motivation as far as uh, wanting something that was uh, unreasonable or wanting some kind of devious result, uh, he he just came off as just a regular guy that just wanted to be happy with his family. Right, he just wanted to live his life a normal life, and he's got wrapped up in this right. in events that are far bigger than he is. Right. But you start getting the idea that Maxtable's got some ulterior motives, and he's not just someone who... He's not just an eccentric man who has the money and time to dabble in time travel experiments. He's actually got ulterior motives, but you don't right. know what yet. Uh, later, you know, as the rescue attempt continues on, Maxtable goes back to the laboratory to talk with a Dalek. And Maxtable tries to throw his weight around and and demands that the Daleks fulfill their end of the bargain. They have a yeah. bargain with Maxtable? What is this? And he wants them to reveal this secret that he has asked of them. And the Daleks refuse. And Maxtable tries to throw his weight around by saying, well, then you can't use my lab as a base anymore, and the Dalek just shoves him. Which I thought was kind of funny. The Dalek just, like, pushes him over. It's like, you know, oh, stop it, you know. And Maxtable, at this point, appears to be walking with a cane and stuff. He comes off as a little more frail at this point in the story than he did later on. Yeah. Um, I, I almost wonder if it was a, a, a front, if he was trying to make himself appear weaker than he actually was. Well, the cane also, uh, in Victorian times, is a, is a status symbol. And so maybe yeah. he's using it as, you know, this is my house, this is my rules, you know, that you know, right. use that to, you know, prop himself up and, you know, give him this, this bigger air of authority, that sort of thing. Like Mr. Peanut. <laughs> Who? Oh, yes, Mr. <laughs> Peanut. Um, from the, the peanut jar. Uh, what company is that? Planters. Planters Peanuts, that's yes. right. Yeah, he's got the cane and the monocle and the yes. top hat. Exactly. A bit like the first Doctor. Hmm. Except without the top hat. <laughs> no, he had a Panama hat. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> Much like the fifth doctor, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, now, as at, after after this altercation with the Dalek, the Dalek leaves, and Ruth, Maxtable's daughter, enters the laboratory, and Maxtable is very angry because she's not supposed to come in here. Uh, but she's frustrated. She doesn't know what's going on. Things are, you know, there's all sorts of act secret activity going on in the house. Her fiancé, Terrell, is acting very odd. She wants answers. Maxtable refuses to give any answers uh, and tells her that she must leave because he is working on the alchemical secret of transmutating metal into gold. There we go. Oh. So it's just plain greed that's got your attention, isn't it, Maxtable? At this point, yes. Well, not only would he have the gold that came out of that uh, technology, but he would also have the esteem 
of being noted as the man who discovered it. Right. You know. Right. And it could be his secret, and he would be able to, you know, have people pay enormous sums in order to learn the secret and that sort of thing. Right. And sometimes... Jamie. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Sometimes it's, it's all about power, though. Sometimes the greed itself is just the the top layer and, and the real desire is power. And it seems <clears throat> a bit of both with yeah. Maxtable. There's the power that go, there's the greed with the, you know, the wealth aspect of it, but he's already a very wealthy man. The power aspect of it and the notoriety and the, the, the legacy in a sense also seems to be a big influence on, on his motivation. Yeah, we we know of a couple of other characters uh, that the Doctor has run up on who greatly discover, or greatly desire, I should say, power. Yes. <laughs> Later points, folks. We, we, we will get to that <laughs> at some point. Uh, Jamie and Kemble seem to have discovered the area where Victoria is being held. There is a Dalek up there. They dispose of him by using a rope to, you know, basically shove it into a lit fireplace. And they climb a balcony to get to the trophy room where Victoria is being held. A hidden panel opens, and lo and behold, a Dalek is there. Uh, Jamie and Kemmel are able to shove the Dalek over the balcony. Using the same rope. (laughs) Using the same rope. Uh, They're very resourceful with that thing. (laughs) Which, of course, unfortunately sets off an alarm and alerts all the Daleks in the area of their presence. And so Jamie and Kemmel break into the room with Victoria and barricade themselves inside while they figure out what to do from there. Jamie says, we can't get out and they can't get in. Now what do we do? Uh, oh, and then he turns around and hands her back her handkerchief and said, I came to give you this. Yes. Oh, as that very chivalrous act, you know. Oh, yes. <laughs> I fought my way through all the Daleks and their booby traps just to return your handkerchief. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he's, he's a very chivalrous young man. <laughs> <laughs> the doctor, meanwhile, is taking a break from his observations and running the ex- and overseeing the experiment to have a little chat with Terrell. He's trying to uh, figure out what's going on with Terrell because he is acting strangely. He keeps having these mental mood swings and these dizzy spells. He's a weirdo. Uh, he's a bit <laughs> odd. Uh, and the doctor suspects that Terrell is under some sort of Dalek influence because uh, he's unable to eat or drink. Uh, and he tells this to Terrell. And then he leaves but to let Terrell... He also discovers that Terrell has become magnetic. Yeah, a little magnetic. Which is weird. Not not overly, just slightly. You know, it's, it's a little... <laughs> Mildly oh, magnetic. Look, look at this, you know, this sword becomes magnetized when I touch you with it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> hmm. So, <laughs> little magnetic. Weird at all. Can't eat or drink. You're under Dalek influence. Okay. And then he just leaves. The doctor leaves. And Terrell tries to, uh, Terrell tries to pick up a, a glass of wine and take a sip, but he can't. He picks it up, but he can't 
get it to his lips, uh, and he hears the Dalek voice in his head, you know, yelling, Obey! 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 Right. You know. So, yeah, we he is under their influence somehow. The... Uh, uh, the the influence that he is, is under, though, strikes me as a slightly different influence than what some of the other characters were under uh, in the story. It seems like that he was affected by different means, possibly, than some of the other ones were. Yes, and we will we will that will be revealed shortly. Um, Victoria uh, is explaining how she became a prisoner of the Daleks to Jamie. She doesn't re- quite remember how it all happened, but she seems to recall that it was willingly, which she finds a little disturbing. Uh, And Jamie suspects that this must be an inside job. On cue, as is wont to happen in these sort of stories, (laughs) uh, Maxtable is hypnotizing Molly the maid because she swears up and down that she's heard Victoria yelling in the house. But Victoria, the cover story goes, is actually in Paris. Um, only Maxtable and Waterfield know, and Terrell know that she's in the house. And he, and, but he she, has it set up so that everybody else believes she's in Paris as well. Correct. Uh-huh. Everybody else assumes she's in Paris. That's where she's supposed to be. But Molly, as she was helping Jamie, swears that she's heard Victoria somewhere in the house. And so Maxtable is hypnotizing her in order to uh, forget all of that and to put her mind at ease. And it is revealed that that is how Victoria became captured by the Daleks. Is Maxwell hypnotized her. Tricked her into going to them. Exactly. Maxwell then sends Terrell to go fetch Victoria from the South Wing and bring her to the laboratory. Terrell tries to refuse but due to the Dalek influence and Maxtable's uh, own forcible personality, uh, he's forced to obey. And, and not only is uh, Maxtable able to hypnotize other people at this point, he's, always, he's also a, a good manipulator. So even though Terrence is not wanting... Terrell, I'm sorry. Even though he's not wanting to do what Maxtable says, he makes Terrell believe that the Daleks have ordered him to take his orders. Right. You know, so he he actually uses manipulation to to get to him because he knows that his hypnosis will not work on him due to what's been done to him by the Daleks. Right. So I think that's kind of interesting, too, you know, that he's not only... Uh, able to hypnotize people, he's also a, a master manipulator as well. The doctor is at the point in the experiment where he can take all of his calculations and you know synthesize it into the human factor. He is he has isolated it, and he now has to put it into the the Dalek embryos, the positronic brains that are there in the laboratory and Waterfield is at his wit's end. Waterfield does not want the doctor to do this. And and they even have a bit of a standoff over it. Waterfield even considers knocking the doctor out in order to stop the uh, the experiment because he does not want a, a world run by 
unstoppable Daleks. See, I caught something in this conversation because it came to me while I was watching this that they were not talking about the same thing because Water, Waterfield was talking about the the Daleks using this technology to put an end to the human race and it, it registered with me that the Doctor wasn't referring to that when he was talking about putting an end to a race. He was talking about putting an end to the Dalek race using the same technology and they were not on the same page with this conversation. You know, one was talking about one thing and one was talking about the other thing and and the doctor never actually led on to what he really and truly had going on in this situation. The doctor has had something up his sleeve for quite some time. We, we, we've had these inklings. We don't know what he's up to because obviously he's been using Jamie. He's been very happily conducting these experiments and seems to be pretty set on, on seeing this experiment through. And so we have to, we've been assuming the doctor's up to something. The doctor's got a plan. He's all, he always has a plan to outsmart the Daleks right. in particular. And so maybe we start to see a little bit of, of, of what that is now. We cut back to Jamie, Victoria, and Kemmel, who are under siege in their little room up there. The Daleks are melting their way through the door while Kemmel and Jamie try to barricade them in further to give them time to escape. Uh, a secret entrance to the room is opened, and Terrell lunges out and grabs Victoria and takes her away. By the time Jamie and Kemmel realize this, they're, you know, Terrell is far down the passageway. And so Jamie and Kemmel have to find the door and then chase after Terrell. Uh, they meet back up with Terrell later but he's already sequestered Victoria away, and they don't know where that is. Right. Uh, Terrell is overcome by one of his fits that he's been having, these dizzy spells. The Doctor meets up with everybody. Ruth and Molly burst in on the situation. Ruth is very concerned for her fiancé, and the Doctor basically has the two of them take Terrell away from the house, get him as far away from here as possible, it's his only chance. And he finds this small yep. black box that's been draped around Terrell's neck. And he takes it off Terrell's neck in order to free him from the control of the Daleks. It's this, it's this thing that has been the essentially the, the transmitter, I suppose, for the Daleks' instructions. It, it almost struck me as if this was maybe something similar as to what was done to some of the people, the Dalek invasion of earth where they made the, the robo men. Yes. Um, it, it almost struck me as, as if this was a technology that was in some way related to that technology. Um, maybe a, a more modified version or a more streamlined version of that. Uh, Chris, I think, I think there are robo men in another story arc at some point, if I'm not mistaken, but I could be wrong about that. I've not seen as much of it as you have, but... But yeah, no, it, it seems like it's maybe something a little bit more advanced, something that mm-hmm. uh, keeps some of the the human ingenuity and the human uh, creativity. Right. But keeps it under the control of the Daleks, you know. Right. It, it's not, it's not, it's there, but it's not 
strong enough to overcome uh, the Dalek instructions. Uh, it's more so, under the surface, you know. While the Doctor and Jamie are helping get Terrell sent off, Kemmel continues his search for Victoria and ends up in the laboratory. He finds Victoria there and, you know, picks, you know, she's knocked out and unconscious. And so he picks her up and a Dalek emerges as they are wont to do from the time cabinet and orders Kemmel to take Victoria through the cabinet to Scaro, which is what is on the yeah. other side. We can pretty much reveal it at this point. This is actually a portal to Scaro that they've been emerging from uh, as opposed to an actual time cabinet per se. Uh, mm-hmm. it, does, it does transport you through time and space, but it is a direct line straight to Scaro. Right. Uh, and I assume if Waterfield and Maxwell had had uh, the ability to, to redirect it, to reset it, they right. could get to someplace else, but you know the Daleks basically have control of it at this at this point, uh, uh, thanks to their initial encounter. I wonder if that had something to do with the use of static electricity. You know, mm, right? They are very clever in the use of static electricity. Well, not only that, um, you know, one of the things that you go back and you think about it: how creepy is it that they knew where? to send Waterfield to find the doctor, you know, how did they know mm-hmm. where the doctor was going to be already uh, and have him waiting for the doctor to arrive there? Right. You know, the, you think about those things and to me that that's almost creepier than some of the other things that we've looked, we looked at because, you know, it, it shows just, it, it, it gives you that, that, um, Big Brother is watching you kind of feeling, you know, like from 1984. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, how 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 easily they knew exactly where to find the Doctor at, at that point in time. Right, right. You know? And he was, he. you know, this whole trap was set for him specifically. Exactly. You know, that this was, you know, this wasn't just, oh, let's find someone who can run this experiment for us. No, they wanted the Doctor to run this experiment. Right. The doctors specifically, so yeah, it, it was rather interesting. Uh, which you know that in itself, like what I've alluded to before, gives me an inclination to think that they uh, went back and looked uh, through time from a future point in time to discover uh, what the doctor's travels carried and and where they could find him, and just picked a point and said, "This is where we can go." Meanwhile, uh, the Doctor afterwards is able... Uh, the Doctor and Jamie finally have it out. You know, the, Jamie is is still upset with the Doctor over his collaboration with the Daleks, and he's completely jaded on the whole idea of traveling with the Doctor. He says he doesn't want to travel with them anymore, he's going to stay here. Well, I kind of think maybe Victoria had a little bit to do with that, too. Oh, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Uh, but they've, you know, their discussion has led them back into the laboratory. And as this, as they continue to dis- to talk, the uh, three test Daleks that have been injected with the human factor activate. Yeah, they that, that they was... roll out of their their crates and they come on down and they surround the doctor and. 
and kind of Shanghai him into playing a game of trains. They 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 begin to play with the doctor it, like children. Yeah, you know. And this was on the one hand kind of funny, but on the other hand one of the most disturbing things I've ever seen a Dalek do. <laughs> well, it was it was completely anti-Dalek. It was so anti-Dalek. And, and, you know, obviously with all of the, the exposure I've had to the Daleks throughout the entire series of Doctor Who, watching this sort of stuff, I, I know what they're capable of. And, and we've seen some very intense things that they have done, especially, right. you know, e- even as far back as the first, first Doctor. And so to see them behaving like children, it's almost like those horror movies where they have the... the, the you know, nursery rhymes and the little girls and that sort of thing that just terrify you. Well, see, for me, uh, I don't know if... Have you ever seen The Stepford Wives? Um, I'm not talking about the remake that came out here a few years back. I'm talking about the original, uh, The Stepford Wives. And there was another, I think, a sequel or a spinoff or whatever you want to call it from that called The Stepford Children. And basically, these men in this town of Stepford were creating what they would call the perfect wives or the perfect children and they they were taking their families and I don't remember if they were doing experiments on them to change them, reprogram them, or if they were actually cloning them and and the clones themselves were taking their place. Um, I can't remember at this point, but I, I just remember seeing this as a kid and seeing the behavior of some of these <clears throat> people that had been um, manipulated, and they literally just made my skin crawl because these big, creepy grins on their faces and this really stiff, you know, kind of robotic almost movement sometimes. And then uh, if one of them, there was a scene I saw where I think it was in the Stepford Children where one of them glitched out at one point and, you know, their heads going all weird and, and they're, you know, jerking around and like having seizure like, you know, act, uh, actions and, 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 you know, saying like the same thing over and over and over and over again, you know, and it, that's the kind of thing that it, this, that's the vibe that this gave me because, you know, that just that that seeing that as a child when I was when I was uh, I mean, and I, I wasn't even trying to find this on TV. It was just one of those things where you change the channel and there it is. And I was like, oh, this looks interesting, you know, but I saw that. And oh, this looks interesting. Oh, yeah, my God. It freaked me out as a kid. I mean, I, I I I don't remember how young I was, but I remember that uh, that is one of the the times when I actually had trouble going to sleep at night because that's how much it messed with my head, wow. you know. And that's the same vibe that I got from this scene uh, the with the Daleks was, in this episode. It was bizarre. It was funny, and it was creepy all at yeah. the same time. And of course, the doctor. The doctor is so happy because his experiment has worked, and this is the best thing ever. Yeah. And so he gives them names. He calls them Alpha, Beta, and Omega. Uh, they're playing trains and roundabouts, and he introduces them to the idea of friendship. And you know, this is right. what friends are. This is Jamie. I'm the doctor. We are friends. And you know, the, the Daleks are talking about being friends. Right. Friends. And the way that they. <laughs> 
modulate the voice. Yeah. We it's, are friends. You know, it's... Yes. <sighs> it's, it's supposed to be a bit childlike, right. but it also just sounds a bit insane. Yeah, it's it's messed up. You it's know. Ju- oh. <laughs> but... Oh, man. It's messed up. But the Daleks have all been summoned back to Skaro, and so Alpha, Beta, and Omega go back through the time cabinet. The Doctor and Jamie follow along because they have to find Victoria, and they surmise that... Oh, no. I take that back. The Doctor and Jamie have not gone back into the time cabinet. They're sticking around to look for Victoria. At this point, this is when the Dalek brings out the the device uh, into the laboratory and fastens it to the floor. uh, Yes. And and, uh, Maxtable... Uh, tries to pick it up and move it, and he can't move it. Right. And, oh, by the way, yeah, that's a bomb. Yeah. He's going to blow up... The Daleks are going to blow up the house now, and Maxtable is very flustered and angry about this, and he has been ordered to fetch the Doctor to, you know, for his trip to Scaro. Uh, Maxtable <laughs> makes, a, makes a half-hearted attempt at finding the Doctor and then makes a, you know... Makes a break for the the time cabinet. And this is uh, when Maxtable's human factor kicks in. Yes, <laughs> because... yes. His, his self-preservation kicks in, which is one of the things that the Doctor is taking note of. Um, this is where the Maxtable's human factor comes in, and he bolts for the time cabinet, you know, forgetting, <laughs> dropping completely his mission to, to summon the Doctor. Uh, Waterfield has discovered all of this goings-on between the Daleks and Maxtable and got into a, a fight with Maxtable before Maxtable left. I said Maxtable way too many times in too short of a time frame. <laughs> um, I apologize. And, of course, Maxtable is a much bigger person and Waterfield has been knocked unconscious as the bomb continues to tick down. The Doctor and Jamie return to the lab find Waterfield uh, are able to help him up Waterfield informs him that's a bomb we should get out of here <laughs> and so they all do they they dash into the time cabinet just before the bomb goes off yeah so. and, and it's not just a normal bomb because Jamie says well why don't we take it and throw it out the window and the doctor's like you'd have to throw it a whole lot further away than that <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> Right. <laughs> this bomb is essentially going to level the entire uh, plot of land the the, the uh, manor is on. Uh, and so now everybody is on Scaro. Kemmel and Victoria are in a cell. Maxtable has been put in the cell with them. The Doctor, Jamie, and Waterfield enter a cave system, and the Doctor knows his way through this from his first visit to Scarrow. So he he remembers this sort of thing. And it's interesting, too, that they end up in the same city that they were in before, you know, and everything looks the same, basically. Uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of similarities. It, yeah. it is uh, later in the Daleks' history that, you know, things have advanced. Right. Uh, They've regained Scarrow basically at this point. Uh, They've not even indicated at all what happened to the fall, have they? 
to, to the Thal? Yeah, no. The Thal have, have not even been referred to at all. Uh, no, not at this point. They they come back uh, during the third Doctor, mm-hmm. uh, during during his run, uh, but, but we'll get to that at some other point. But like we said, uh, some of these stories are told out of order, so... Some yeah. of them are, but I, I think this one is is in order. An alarm has gone off. The Daleks have determined that, oh, there are more humans in the city other than the ones in our, our prison cell, so they're on high alert. Right. A black Dalek is giving orders. Oh, by the way, the three Daleks that the Doctor named, he wrote their names on them. Yeah. You know, Alpha, with the... the what is it, the Greek or Latin symbols? The I forget Greek. what they are. The Greek symbols yes. for Alpha, Beta, and Omega. And the Black Dalek who's giving orders. And there's a couple of Black Daleks in this episode. Yeah, we, I we, found that interesting that there are multiple Black Daleks. Yeah, we're, we're led to assume, I guess, that they're like officers, basically. Right. But one of the Black Daleks runs across Omega and notices the name uh, and asks him about it. And Omega proudly boasts about his name, that his name is Omega and how the doctor gave it to him. Right. Uh, and so he, he's very pleased with himself about this whole thing. The doctor, Jamie, and Waterfield then later on, as they're making their way into the city, uh, encounter a Dalek outside of the city who says that he's Omega and wants to, to lead them to the prisoners. Well, the symbol is not quite the symbol the doctor wrote. Uh, on Omega, so they determine, nope, that's not an Omega, that's an imposter, and they shove him off the cliff. Yeah, he, I think he fell into the swamps or something, didn't he? Something like that. Um, that's uh, probably the same swamps we saw before. Probably. Um, it is Scaro, so. But, uh, yeah, the doctor clearly says, I think I wouldn't recognize the symbol I drew myself, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> and shove. Uh, <laughs> And so they're they're making their way into the city. The Daleks and Maxtable, on behest of the Daleks, are basically torturing slightly uh, Victoria in order to make her scream, in order to draw the Doctor out, and so that he will come rescue them. Right. And she's not happy about what Maxtable is doing and how he's helping the Daleks. But of course, the Doctor, Jamie, and Waterfield uh, make their way inside. They are discovered and are summoned to the throne room of the Emperor Dalek. And this was kind of cool. Well, this is the first time we've ever encountered him. We've, yeah. Uh, it's this Emperor Dalek who's, you know, at least twice as tall as a normal Dalek. And he sits on this, this dais, basically. He's all plugged into the city. He's got one giant eye stalk. He doesn't have any weapons, uh, you know, on him as far as I can yeah, tell. Yeah, I noticed that too. It didn't look like he had any armor. I mean, not armor, but uh, any armory of any kind on himself. You know, it, it just he looked like he was just sitting there. You know, mm-hmm. as the Emperor Dalek, he it is his job to give orders and his job to basically, I guess, maintain Scaro. Because uh, he's he's plugged into all sorts of things and is able to transmit orders and you know speak into the the loudspeaker systems and that sort of thing and he's you, he's really interesting. You know what the the shot reminded me of when we saw this? Hmm. 
reminded me of the scene uh, at the end of Eccleston's run where they had taken a human and hooked her up with all of the wires and everything and had her suspended there controlling all of these different things. Oh, um, controlling, uh, controlling uh, yeah. Space Platform 5 or yeah, whatever it's called? Yeah, it made me think of that because it made me think that, you know, especially considering that both of uh, those uh, setups involved the Daleks, uh, mm. it, it made me think uh, of this being a similar setup that they had taken and, and put her in because she was able to see basically everything that was going on in the station and, and the whole nine yards because of this Dalek technology that they plugged her into. Huh. I hadn't thought of that, but that that does make sense now that you mention it. Uh, Well, of course, the Doctor, being overly confident in himself, as he usually is, reveals that his humanized Daleks will be able to spread their sentiment and their, their inquisitiveness and their asking questions amongst the Daleks and and will start a revolution soon on Skaro, which is what his goal was all along. Right. And that the Daleks are beaten. You know, the Emperor Dalek does not believe him uh, and reveals that they have a secret as well. They have his TARDIS. And that because the Doctor was able to identify the human factor from that, they were able to, to... determine the Dalek factor, which is the antithesis of the human factor. Right. And they are going to use that Dalek factor and implant it across the history of Earth and into humans and basically use that to take over. Poor doctor. Yeah. (laughs) He's been used again. Uh, <laughs> well, were you going to say something earlier? Sorry. No, I I, uh, I was thinking of the fact that uh, obviously the antithesis of the human factor is void, you know, being void of emotion, being void of of uh, mercy and and caring for others and and things of that nature. And so it, it, was it so much that they were implanting that into people or that they were removing something from people you know i think i think there's more to it than just being the opposite of of uh of the human factor i think there's a little bit more in it than that because you know daleks are completely motivated by hatred right by hatred for anything that isn't a dalek and so i think there's a lot of that in there as well. I don't think it's quite the opposite, because if you go for the exact opposite of what the human factor is in this case, you basically get the Cybermen. Uh, they're more, yeah. they're more the, the opposite of humanity than the Daleks are, although they're close. Um, so I think there's a little bit more, but from what the Doctor was able to discover, distill the human factor down to, that was a, a Springboard that the Daleks were then able to determine what the Dalek factor is. Right. And so, of course, the Doctor refuses to comply. The Daleks are willing to let him stew for a little bit to, before they try and convince him again and uh, lock him, lock he and his group back in the cell 
with Victoria Kemmel and Maxtable. Maxtable. This also oh, sorry, this also shows you the Doctor has basically developed certain principles at this point that he didn't necessarily hold when we first met him in his first incarnation. Uh, because when we first met him, there was very possible he could have just said, hey, look, I'll get in my TARDIS and I'll leave and leave you to it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't so much that he didn't care about people as much as it was, this isn't my problem. You know, I'm not supposed to be here anyway. I'm not supposed to get involved. I, I need to just up and leave. And and right. now he is very clearly holding a completely different stance at this point and, and seeing himself as a defender more so than just an observer like he started out being. It's very true. Uh, the Daleks are ready to test their experiment with the Dalek factor and decide the first person that they will test it on is Maxtable. Maxtable still is wanting the formula to turn metal into gold. That is his motivation, and he is very irate that the Daleks have not given it to him yet. And so the Daleks, you know, set up this machine that they're going to show him you know, mm, yeah. the formula. And But, of course, to get to it, he has to walk through this archway that basically beams, I suppose, the Dalek factor into him. Or activates it within him or whatever. I, I'm not sure exactly. But they also want the Doctor to come and witness this as well. Well, the Doctor indicates that it, there's a, a code or an encoding a, sort of like a computer program almost, you know, uh, this, so that it would reprogram his brain, you know. Right, yeah, that's that's what it was. Thank you, thank you. you you've watched these episodes a little bit more recently <laughs> than I have. So, well, I saw the last uh, three yesterday. So, <laughs> ah, it's been a couple days for me. So, uh, Maxtable is able to quote unquote hypnotize the Doctor into walking through the arch as well. Jamie tries to stop him, but it's too late, and the Doctor walks through, and he appears to be uh, converted into a Dalek. Um, or at least a Dalek mind. Yes, at least a Dalek mind. You know, mentally he's a Dalek. Right. Which is interesting because, you know, we see all these, in the new series, all these people that are taken over by the Daleks and they have the Dalek eye stocks that stick out of their head and that right. sort of thing. It's interesting that that idea has been around this long. You know, they've been turning people into Daleks or assimilating people right. as you know, proto-Daleks, in a sense, for this long. Um, Jamie and and the rest of the group are very upset and and disappointed and and kind of afraid that the Doctor has now been converted because, you know, he's the one that has all the plans and that sort of thing. While this is going on, though, something unusual happens. A Dalek has questioned an order. Yeah, and I thought that was really something interesting to watch you know he gives this this order to the room and out of this entire room one voice says why (laughs) 
and the black Dalek stops <laughs> and, f- and turns around. Freaks out, you know? <laughs> freaks out. And so they've reported, they report this to the Emperor Dalek. And the Emperor demands that whoever this Dalek was be found out and, and eliminated, basically. <laughs> But yeah, that was a great scene. I loved it. You know, the Dalek, the black Dalek rolls in and gives this order to the room, blah, blah, blah. He's about to leave. Why? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, you can almost hear the record scratch, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Oh, my goodness. It really was a great scene, though, yeah. you know, for... The only actors in it being, you know, Daleks. It was to me, pretty good. To me, that's really good storytelling. You know, when you can set up a scene like that and execute it that well and have that kind of impact, it just, that, that to me is really good storytelling. It definitely worked, and it definitely gives the audience the idea that, hey, the Doctor was right. <laughs> this is going to work. <laughs> Meanwhile, Max Bull on the behest of the Daleks, is leading the Doctor to the machinery that controls the process of implanting the Dalek factor uh, because they want the Doctor to make sure that it's they've got it right. You know, this is part of the reason the Doctor has been summoned because he's very good with this machinery and they need to make sure everything is good to go and that it's operating precisely. But of course they have to convert him so he doesn't do anything foolish. The Doctor is not human, though. Nope. Or, and or, the or cal- at least not fully. Right. right. <laughs> we'll get there later. <laughs> I have issues with that. <laughs> not here. Not here. Um, not on this episode. But, you know, the doctor is not human. And the machine has been calibrated for humans. Right. And so the doctor apparently. This is also the along. first time that you hear the doctor specifically say, "I'm not from Earth." Right. No, this is the very first time that you hear him talk about that he is from a, another planet that's far away. Mm, no. Um, no. No. Actually, the first doctor mentions that in the very first episode. Mm, I don't know if he says that he's not. He, he says he, just, he says Susan and I are cut off from our own planet without friends or protection. Maybe I'll have to go back and watch that. I'll have to go back and watch no, it. He, I do know that they say I, I did just watch a little that clip yesterday. I, so. I do know that they that they did say another place, another time. I do know that, but I couldn't remember that part. So, well, I, I watched that clip yesterday. Um, so I, yes. Okay, I, now I, I feel he, dumb. So, <laughs> I I just watched it yesterday, so dumb. I'm like, I know, I know. Pick me, pick me, pick me. Um, he, he does say, you know, okay. Uh, Although it, it's interesting because the DVD that that the unearthly child is on right. has two versions of the first episode. Right. It's got the pilot version, which has a much angrier and more cryptic doctor, right. and then it's got the actual episode that aired, which they went and basically refilmed entirely because the doctor right. was too angry, um, and so they made him a nicer person, a little bit fleshed out the whole idea that you know he's not from. Earth. They 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 made it extremely vague in the pilot version. Yes, um, yes. They were a little bit more on point with the with the released version, uh, but I still did not remember that specific statement. I yeah. and I and I've seen it multiple times, so I should have. So now I feel kind of dumb. 
It is what it That's is. That's all right. <laughs> it is what it is. But but I think this is one of the, you know, at least in this story arc, the Doctor hasn't mentioned to anybody. You know, Maxtable and Waterfield right. and that sort of thing. Uh, nobody, except the Daleks, basically know that the Doctor's not from Earth. As far as well, I maybe know, not even the Daleks. As far as I know, that's not been mentioned since that first episode, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, that depends. I'm not I sure. I remember. Like I said, you've seen more of them than I have, so... I'll, I'll defer to you on that. I'd have to I'd have to go and think on that, but uh, anyway, I do know that whether I do know that they've not mentioned Time Lords in any way, shape, or form at this point. Right? No, Time Lords have not been mentioned. The fact that the Doctor is not human uh, is brought up periodically, as as far as I recall. Although most of the people, all the people here in this story arc, don't know that. Uh, including Jamie. So this is news to everybody there. And the doctor manages to go back and tells Jamie that the next time, that when the Daleks come back, go through the arch. It'll be okay. Yeah. Because he's done something. Uh, but <laughs> Jamie and the rest of the group start wondering if this is a trap because they saw the doctor become a Dalek. The doctor and Maxtable are brought to the Emperor. And uh, the Doctor, still pretending to be a Dalek, says, Oh, well, we must solve this questioning Dalek problem by sending all of the humanized Daleks back through the arch. So the, the uh, plan becomes to send every Dalek through because he wants to weed out the three they can't find. Right. And, of course, they start with the the lowest cast of the the Daleks, basically. The Black Daleks are not being sent through. No. Because they're the officers. They, they, that, they are above reproach in that regard. Right. And so the Daleks are going through, and the Doctor encourages the, the humans to go through as well, and is able to ultimately reveal his double cross um, to them. And the Doctor, you know, st- stays behind because he wants to end this, and Waterfield opts to stay with him. And Jamie, Victoria, and Kemmel are sent back to the caves so that the Doctor will find them later. Chaos is now erupting because humanized Daleks begin defying the black Daleks and the other non-processed Daleks and civil war. The civil war, the revolution that the Doctor predicted is happening. And once again, we've got Daleks on Daleks. Well, not once again. This is a this is a bit like uh, what we had with the in the chase with the Daleks and the Mechanoids, except right. it's all Daleks. But um, now it makes me wonder if, and I and I know that this wasn't originally uh, probably intended to be this way, but it makes me wonder if this possibly could have been uh, when they decided to break off and have multiple factions of Daleks because we know there are at least two and possibly more um, mm-hmm. that are that are seen in future episodes. The idea may have come from this. Uh, it's entirely possible. Right. But multiple factions of Daleks still take a little bit uh, to fully flesh out uh, from this point right. as far as I remember. Right, right, right. You know, so there, there's explosions and Daleks fighting Daleks, and there's gunfire everywhere. 
the Emperor Dalek is barking orders from his throne. In the midst of it, the Doctor and, and Waterfield get caught in the crossfire, and Waterfield takes a hit to save the Doctor. Right, he gets in the way. And the Doctor promises Waterfield that he will look after Victoria for him. And Waterfield dies. The Emperor Dalek is destroyed by all the fighting. Uh, The throne room is basically invaded by a group of of humanized Daleks. Uh, And there's a huge battle between them and the the black Daleks. And in the end, the the Emperor Dalek is destroyed in the process. Yeah, and and I like the way... Now, I don't know if this was pulled from original footage um, or if this was even necessarily the... Uh, shown that way in the original episode, but I like the way that they had put the montage together of the Daleks firing on one another and, you know, how everything kind of bled over one another and and gave you that kind of feeling of chaos in the room, you know, with the smoke and and all of the different blasting back and forth. And, you know, it just, it really gave you the, the... the uh, the feeling that there was so much activity and so much of a bigger scale battle going on uh, in that yeah. in that scene, I thought it was really neat. Yeah, I think most of the actual footage has been lost, and that the the footage of this battle was filmed by the special effects guys, basically as something to put on on their demo reels, basically mm-hmm. you know say hey. This is some of what we were able to do, you know, there, right? You know, that sort of thing, um, and that's where they got a lot of the footage for this end battle. Uh, it most, worked either way, you know. It worked, it worked really either well. way. It, it was it was good stuff, and it was really intense. Uh, you know, there's a lot of smoke and a lot of explosions, and then at the end of it, that's basically all you can see is is smoke right. and rubble. And to me, it just made the scale seem so much bigger in this battle, you know, back mm-hmm. and forth. That's just just my viewpoint on it, you know. Right. And unfortunately, as with many of these stories, the the mute muscle sidekick, Kemmel, is not allowed to travel with the Doctor, and so they have to find some way to kill him. See, and this, this, the way that this went down, I, I thought, was kind of interesting, because it seemed to me that he was overpowered by somebody who should have been much, much weaker than he was. What happens is, you know, Jamie, Victoria, and Kemmel are watching the destruction of, of the Dalek City from, a, you know, the, the cliffs, and Maxtable finds them, and he's, you know, muttering Dalek nonsense and attacks, and, of course, Kemmel jumps in the middle, and they wrestle, and uh, through the, the struggle... Maxtable backs Kemmel up and basically knocks him over the cliff. Yeah. Uh, what surprised me, though, is that Maxtable survived and seemed to get some sort of, like, recall order and went back down to the city. You know, it's Doctor Who. You're going to suspend your disbelief, right? But it that that just... For just a split second, I was like you're really truly telling me that that little old man just took out that huge Turk, you know? (laughs) I mean, well, you know, 
Well, Maxtable wasn't little. He was he was a large man, uh, but he was old. So he still shouldn't have been a match for right. That's for the Turk. That's kind of what I meant, you know. But yeah, it, it just <laughs> it did seem a little bit. So either the idea is that he just happened to get the high ground, so to speak, because you know, don't try it. I have the high ground. Right. Um, <laughs> sorry, Star Wars reference. Um, Underestimate my power. <laughs> <laughs> or. Or, in addition to having his mind changed to a Dalek mind, that hatred that now drives him helped give him strength, you know. And so there's some sort of measure of Dalek strength in Maxtable now. And so maybe Maxtable was stronger because of that. See, now, this is the point where the Doctor is trying to leave the city... And, and mm-hmm. encounters Maxtable again himself. This is the point where Maxtable starts to sound like somebody else that we've seen in other stories. And, uh, yeah, I, I've already talked to you about a theory I had on that, but if you let me bring that up later. Um, but, sure. uh, yeah, he's he's basically screaming about, you know, Dalek victory and that the Daleks must survive at any cost and, you know... He very clearly sounds like at this point he has not only inherited the quote unquote Dalek factor, but also it has driven him a little insane at this point, you know? Yeah. Because he's not just acting like a Dalek, he's not just acting like a human, he's acting like something else. And but right. his his voice and everything is still done in the tonality and everything of a Dalek. Hmm. <laughs> there are possibilities and we'll get, and we'll get to a theory in a minute, but uh, let's finish this up because we're almost done. The doctor meets up with Jamie and Victoria and they survey the destruction below them. The city is burning and we assume all the Daleks have been destroyed. The doctor says, yes, this is the end, the final end, and they depart to the TARDIS. But of course, inside the Emperor Dalek's chamber, a light on a wrecked Dalek casing pulses. And one single solitary Dalek raises his eye stalk. It's like, yeah. Dag nabbit. Which gives Again. You, which gives you the indication that the Daleks have a new emperor. <laughs> the Daleks are, have survived. And so that is the evil of the Daleks. Right. Let's get into your theory real quick, and then we'll start wrapping up our final thoughts on this. I don't know but... if it's so much of a theory as it is. I think that this would be kind of like something joyous for me. Um, you know, <laughs> it, it is a bit of a theory, but it's, it's also kind of an idea that I had based on the events of the story and the way that the character was acting at the end of the story and how much he sounded like another character that we've run into. And Mm -hmm. even, even not, not only just in what he was saying, but how he was saying it. And even to the point of the tone and, and uh, everything of his voice almost matching perfectly with, with uh, another character. Who and is this character? What what I told Jason earlier was I thought that it would be really interesting if at some point we found out that 
the surviving Dalek, uh, who I'm assuming would then become the new Dalek Emperor and rebuild the Dalek race, actually sent Maxtable back in time in Skaro uh, as a broken survivor of this uh, destruction with a rebuilt or somewhat rebuilt body to ensure the the uh, survival of the Dalek race uh, and that Maxtable then became Davros. <laughs> I, I think, I mean, I personally think that would be really cool to find that out, you know. I, I wouldn't put it past the realm of possibilities, I'll put it that way. It is it is an entertaining theory to, to think about. Uh, I think the show sort of creates its own self. Right. So many times already that <laughs> I'd rather, I'd rather it. Maxtable and Davros be different people, but it is fun to sort of throw these theories around. Well, I mean, uh, I could just see it happening. I could see it being, you know, because, you know, if he's in this burning building and whatnot, you know, it's going to probably burn all the beard and everything off of him, and he's going to be scarred and, you know, look horrific and. You know, uh, you're not going to see the eyes because of, you know, the fact that he's been modified with the the eye in the middle of his forehead and, you know, these types of things. I just thought it would be interesting if that were the case, especially considering that that would actually create some type of a paradox because the Daleks would have created Davros, who then turned around and created the Daleks. <laughs> right. You know. <laughs> and we know the Daleks are not opposed to creating paradoxes, but this is one that, I don't know, a little much maybe. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I just think it would be a cool idea. I, I No, like, like, like I said, like I said, it's a fun idea. It's a fun idea to talk about, but uh, I, I think there's enough self-creation in Doctor Who. Um <laughs> That, that we can leave this one alone. <laughs> you know, I can have my own canon, right? <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. This is, of course, the, the final Dalek episode of The Second Doctor. Uh, of interesting note, this story arc, The Evil of the Daleks, was initially intended to be the final Dalek story arc period on Doctor Who. Uh, Terry Nation, who created the Daleks, was trying to sell them to American television to create ah. for for a spin-off series uh that they were going to be in. Um apparently that didn't go the way he hoped uh and at the last minute at the last minute they they threw in the shot of of the Dalek casing, you know, lighting up and glowing right. at the end and right. the the one raising its eye stock. So that was put in at the last minute, uh, which is why we got the the comment from the Doctor, you know, it's the end of the Daleks, the final end. Right. You know, um, because obviously, as we know, it wasn't. No. So... <laughs> and any time, any time you have one single surviving Dalek, you know you're going to end up with more. Yes. So. Yes, indeed. I just thought that was interesting. Uh, interesting thing. Um, now that we're here at the end, uh, what did you think of 
the second Doctor dealing with the Daleks versus the first Doctor dealing with the Daleks. Uh, did you notice much of a difference? I did. Or, you know? uh, I actually felt like that this showed the Doctor dealing with the Daleks in a, basically a slightly more intelligent way than he had before, uh, to be perfectly honest about it. And that gave me the indication that they were trying to show that the Doctor was learning from his previous uh, encounters with the Daleks uh, and, and the fact that he was becoming more and more and more easily able to to over, uh, overcome them using his intelligence. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and and I thought that that was a fitting way to to play that. the The one thing that I will say though is I feel like that, it, at least in my opinion, it's a little bit unfortunate that we don't get to see the second Doctor encounter the Daleks again uh, through his entire run. You know, because I really enjoyed these episodes. Yeah, I felt yeah. I felt like that these were really well done, really well told stories. The execution was well done. I like the second Doctor a lot, and mm-hmm. you know, and and he he has other encounters with other foes and things like that. And these Dalek episodes uh, have really made me want to go back and watch his entire run, you know, <laughs> from beginning to end. Because I do like the second Doctor immensely. And and that's I guess that's the reason why I feel like it's a little bit unfortunate that we don't get to revisit him at least one more time in our Dalek run. But we'll get to visit him again with, with other villains. So Yes. Yes we will. I agree, I agree. I think I think he's a little bit more uh personable. Person, yeah, a little more personable when it comes to dealing with the Daleks. Uh, as far as dealing with the Daleks, uh, he definitely has learned from his previous encounters. Mm-hmm. That's plain to see. Uh, although he still has these moments that remind me of the first Doctor, like when he basically says, Ha, I've got you beat, because they're going to incite revolution, you know, and, and there will right. be civil war here. That seemed very first Doctor. That seemed very William Hartnell. That, you know, you know, that's more victory before it happened. To me, though, that's more of the way that his dialogue was worded, more so than the actual execution of it. You know, I know that uh, I had heard uh, more than one person say in like different interviews and things like that uh, that once they got to a certain point in. Uh, I don't remember what season it was, but once they got up to a certain point, it got to the point where they literally did not change the way that they wrote the Doctor. It was simply a different, you know, a difference in the way that the actor portrayed the Doctor. And so it didn't matter whether the dialogue was written a certain way or not. The the changes became evident in the way that the actors portrayed them. And to me, this was very clearly written as being being said in in the types of wording that the first doctor would have used but just not mm-hmm. not expressed in necessarily the same vocal manner and 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 whatnot you know so that made it right. that made it very similar to me the other interesting thing here is that the doctor in his dealing with the daleks here seems a little bit crafty a little more crafty cuz he's got this whole right. side plot about how he's going to, you know, destroy the Daleks from the inside. Not that the first Doctor couldn't have done that, right? but the first Doctor preferred to work 
from the outside of the Daleks. You know, he worked and he helped position people to right. in order to take down right. the Daleks. And at the at the end of it, he would end up in the middle. Um, and see, I whereas this Doctor, whereas the second Doctor seemed to be a little bit more ready to get involved during the whole process and have this sort of hidden agenda right. working the whole time. And I saw I saw in the the previous story that we talked about the the uh, the power of the Daleks. I saw kind of that transition of you know him becoming more hands-on and him becoming more at least attempting to do so become more crafty in the way that he had dealt with them but mm-hmm. it you could see a definite difference between the beginning of that story arc and the end of that story arc as to him not necessarily executing it quite as well at the very beginning after his re- uh, regeneration, but by the time he got to the end of that story arc, he was able to pull it off without a hitch. And and so right. you kind of see him kind of in that one story arc, you see him kind of grow and be able to, to change how he deals with that situation. You know, I, and, and this to me was a really good follow up from that. You know, it, it gave you an indication that the doctor is growing in, in more than one way, you know, well, getting back to Evil of the Daleks in particular, what rating would you give this episode? How many out of ten oh, Daleks, dude. how many would you give it? Uh, and would you recommend it to our fellow Hoobians? Yeah, no, I would, I'd probably give this one an... Well, considering that it was done with photographs and everything else, I'd probably give this an, an eight and a half. Because to me, the story for this one was a solid ten. That's just my opinion on that. Um, you know, because of the fact that I had to watch it with photographs and everything, and it was better uh, executed than the one we saw before. You didn't have to have nearly as many subtitles and things to know what's going on. You know, I, I would give that, you know, maybe a seven, you know, uh, because of the improvement in the execution and whatnot. So I'm going to say a, a good eight and a half. Nice. Uh, this... This Dalek story arc uh, back in 1993 was voted the best Doctor or Dalek story uh, in Doctor Who. Um, of course, that's before the Eighth Doctor movie and before the new series. Right. Uh, so, in a in a Doctor Who magazine, this was voted the best, uh, which I find interesting. And I, of the Dalek episodes that we have reviewed so far, I would have to agree though. I would definitely have to say this is probably the best one. Uh, it is very good, and I wish that we had all seven episodes surviving. Oh, dude. At the very least, yeah, some we, animations, you know. I'm going to give this a good... I'm going to I'm gonna be really generous. I'm going to give this a, a nine. I'm going to give this a nine. Yeah. Uh, nine out of ten Daleks. Uh, it, it, was, it was that good. And I'm going to give it a pass on the, uh, the reconstructions because, uh, number one, they had more pictures right uh, right to to draw from which was nice they also for this one in the scenes where it was just the daleks in the camera they had uh at least the the videos that we've linked to on our uh uh on the facebook page that we've got uh set up for this um the the dalek scenes where it's just them is all done in rudimentary black and white uh, computer animation. Right. So they're they're doing a little bit of movement and that sort of thing, and it's uh, it's easier to watch. And in some instances where you don't have to see a character's face, they have some actual 
reshoots using uh, extras and that sort of thing in costume to to sort of give you an idea of what's going on in the scene, so right. they don't have to have a, an image with a lot of you know words scrolling along um, the bottom. There were a couple of uh, shots uh, where they even went in and computer generated a couple of the characters as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know the scene where they were climbing the ropes to go over the balcony. Uh, yeah, they they computer animated that. Uh, it wasn't like in your face obvious that they did it, but you know they're not going to have an actor doing that, so. Right. Well, it, yeah, there the computer animation wasn't it wasn't like, you know, what what you'd get in an official release, but whoever right. was making this um had it enough was, skills to It was well done, to, you know. To to get the to get the point across uh in a way that was a lot more engaging right. than than what we had to sit through with the the reconstruction for Power of the Daleks. So, this is one that I would definitely recommend people Go back and watch, and we will have links on our Facebook page for these episodes. Just look back uh, before we post, before this episode is posted, look back um, uh, on our Facebook page for that. Or you can also go to the Facebook page called Doctor Who from the Beginning. And yes. there's a lot, there is a lot of episodes on there. So Exactly. Um, just, but yes. just saying, you know. Just, just saying, <laughs> if you want to check that out. Because, you know, we didn't put any work into it at all, right? <laughs> no. No, not at all. I haven't spent multiple afternoons just sitting in front of my computer writing up posts for that. Not at all. Um, uh, anyway. Guys, Jason, final... Jason is doing an awesome job putting this page together, by the way. Uh, he, he pretty much inherited it from me because I started it and then because I was spending so much time on the videos and stuff, uh, he kind of inherited it from me and he's been doing an amazing job on this. So you guys need to check it out. Yeah. I, I actually have gotten to the point where it, it's kind of fun to, to put this all <laughs> together. So, and, and I get to listen to my podcasts while I do it. So it's like, ah, <laughs> kill two birds with one stone. So anyways, but that's neither here nor there. Um, any final thoughts on evil of the Daleks before we wrap up this episode? Uh Man, like I said, uh, I, I wish that we had more second Doctor Dalek stories, but I'm actually I'm I'm looking forward to when we do get into the third Doctor. Um, I like I said before, I haven't gotten to experience as much of the third Doctor as I want to, and this will give mm-hmm. me an opportunity to do that. However, we're going to uh, have a little bit of a hiatus from our uh, classic uh, Who reviews and next yes. next week we're going to be talking about uh not only the end of last season of Doctor Who uh which would be season 8 but the upcoming season 9 and we're going to be uh doing some speculating talking about uh some tied up loose ends that we had from season 8 uh, that got wrapped up at the end of, of that season and also uh, maybe be doing a little bit of uh, fanboy dreaming about uh, where we would like to see the show go in the future, because uh, everybody kind of knows that I want to see K nine come back, you know. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and Romana, and, <laughs> and then uh, you know, moving out of that, uh, we won't be doing uh, any more uh, classic Who reviews until after we have uh, gotten. Uh, to a stopping point in our new season nine reviews. 
Yes, so. we will be transitioning. Uh, we'll be taking a hiatus from our, our Dalek story reviews uh, for now until we get to a, either a break in Series 9 or Series 9 wraps up, depending on, on how they play it, because we've had very inconsistent ways that they've they've given us uh, Doctor Who on television. Right. Uh, sometimes we get the whole season in one you know fairly large chunk, and other times they split it up half before Christmas and half like six weeks after Christmas. Right. So, so we'll we'll see how that all wraps, uh, you know, turns out, and we'll keep you guys updated on that. And we will be doing episode reviews of the new series as they come out. Now, one thing I do want to say is it looks like we're getting several two-parters during this season, and we will not be reviewing the the two-part episodes until after the second episode has been done. And so we'll be peppering in maybe some companion uh, episodes where we talk about companions like we did with Rose a while back uh, or some other, you know, topical conversation episodes um, throughout the, the, the season. And when we get a break in the season, either they take a mid-season break or the season wraps up, we will get back to uh, our Dalek episode reviews with the third Doctor as played by John Pertwee. So yes. uh, our first our first classic Doctor in color. Uh, and boy, did he have a lot of colors. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and we'll get to see the parallels between him and 007. <laughs> yes. Yes. The, the, anyway, uh, well, we'll, we'll, we will get uh, to that as, as it, as that comes back up. But if you want to keep it up with us, Go ahead and uh, find us online. Our website, of course, is TalkingTimeLords.com. That is our headquarters, our TARDIS on the internet, if you will. Um, Of course, you can interact with us on our Facebook page, Facebook.com slash TalkingTimeLords. You can also tweet us. We're on Twitter at at TalkingTimeLord. Or you can email us at TalkingTimeLords at gmail.com. Anything else before we uh, wrap up this show? Not today. I'm tired. I want to go to Not bed. Not today. You're tired. <laughs> <laughs> it's bedtime. We recorded late, and we've been talking a long time. No, so guys, Jason's like two hours ahead of, or no, two hours behind me. I'm sorry, and uh, so he's he's a little bit more refreshed than I am at this point. So, and I've been drinking <laughs> soda the entire time we've been recording. So. Um, <laughs> The caffeine has kept me going. But before I devolve into something I will regret saying, uh, that wraps up this episode of Talking <laughs> Time Lords. This has been episode number 15, Evil of the Daleks Story Review. For Paul, I'm Jason, and remember, until next time... May you hope far-flung hopes and dream impossible dreams. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> Talking Time Lords is a proud member of the Thunderquack Podcast Network. Visit thunderquack.com to see their entire catalog of podcasts. Or visit patreon.com slash thunderquack to help support the shows.